If you have a Bible, turn to uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. We will get to that uh, in a few moments. 1 Peter chapter 4. You know, last week um, we uh, talked about how to resurrect or renew our view of children, and we established the value of children and how important it is for us to to walk and talk with and be with and guide and bless our children, to participate in life with our children and to value them deeply. And so because of the talk on children last week and spending ample amounts of time with them, I thought it only appropriate that today we talk about suffering. No, no, I'm just kidding. Tom, Tom would actually agree. He's over there with the Trek youth right now. He suffered this past week at Forest Home, but it was a good suffering. But in all seriousness, I, I do want to talk about suffering today. Because we're in the midst, uh, uh, we're at the very, t- very tail end now of our series called The Rest of Life Resurrected. Today and next week, and actually we'll be done with this series next week as Tom closes us out with a final message on, on feasting and celebration. But today, we're discussing the topic of suffering. And why the topic of suffering? Well, because suffering is a part of everyday life. Everyday life. And we are talking about resurrecting everyday life. The rest of life resurrected. Suffering happens to us all. It can happen each and every day, if not certainly each and every week or month. And if we're that lucky, it's exceedingly rare to get through an entire year without experiencing some form of deep suffering. There's suffering all over the world, as well you know. Um, Some stats on suffering just to be aware of. In one hour's time, so by the time, actually in the time that you've walked into church until the time that, we, that I speak before you now, five children will have died around the world from abuse or violence. In that same hour that you walked into church and are now seated right now, over 1,000 people have died in a traffic accident. In the same hour that you walked into church and are sitting before me now, another 1,000 people have died from cancer. From tsunamis in East Asia to earthquakes in Haiti to hunger and starvation in Africa to mass shootings, even in schools in the United States, to civilian planes being shot down over eastern Ukraine and Russia, suffering is everywhere. Tim Keller, whom I am very much indebted to for this message, has a book out called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. Uh, This was given to me as a gift by uh, Dave Bacon, one of our elders. Uh, Dave has been reading through this um, with his brother Dan as Dan battles uh, with cancer. And uh, Dave uh, really, really highly uh, enjoyed this book, clung to it along with his brother and, and asked me to read it. I did. And I I must say that uh, I'm very much indebted to this book as we continue with this message. Tim Keller said this about suffering. No matter what precaution we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. No amount of money, power, and planning can prevent bereavement, dire illness, 
relationship betrayal, financial disaster, or a host of other troubles from entering your life. Tim Keller says there that suffering is everywhere. It is rampant. And guess what? There is nothing that you can do about it. Well, there's nothing you can do about its coming upon you. But there is something that you can do as you await for it to come. The Bible speaks of suffering in many different ways. Often uh, the, the term fire is used. Walking through the fire, says the prophet Isaiah. In First uh, Peter, uh, Peter talks about it being a fiery ordeal or a fiery furnace. Suffering in Scripture is a very, very prevalent theme. It is riddled throughout Scripture. And you know, as we think about suffering, I think one of the first questions that, that most people ex, uh, experience when they go through suffering themselves is, God, why? Why am I suffering? Why do we suffer? We look up and we say, God, why are you allowing this to happen? When we suffer, we often look for a cause. Tell me, Lord, why? Why is this happening? Is there a reason for it? Because, though, suffering does damage to our physical, emotional, and mental capabilities, finding the answer to this question can be exceedingly difficult. We ask why, and yet we're physically afflicted, we're emotionally afflicted, we're mentally afflicted, spiritually afflicted, and, and, and so trying to find that answer is very much uh, a difficult effort because we're, we're undergoing such great turmoil in the midst of asking that question. And so our faculties get awry in suffering. We often, though, think that there's, there must be a one-to-one correspondence. There's a one-to-one correspondence between something we did in the past and the suffering that I experience in the present. There's got to be a one-to-one, Lord. I'm suffering now. So is it, was it this or, or was it that that I did or, or was it this that I said? We often think there's a one-to-one correspondence between a past action and present suffering. And to some degree, to some degree, the book of Proverbs is filled with aphorisms that lead us to believe such direct consequences are biblical. For instance, Proverbs 19.15 says the idle person will suffer hunger. The idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 11.8, the righteous person is delivered from trouble. It will happen. And then Proverbs 22.6, if you train up a child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart. And so we look upon these Proverbs and we say, well, see, there's, there's direct correlation. There's a one-to-one correspondence. If this, then this. If you're idle, you'll go hungry. If you train up a child well, he will not depart from the path of righteousness. Ah, but you see, the Proverbs are not promises. They are maxims, they are aphorisms, they are general truths about life, general truths about the laws of reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. But the Proverbs are not the only place in Scripture to look for the cause of suffering. There are many other parts of Scripture that we could turn to. Um, Great calamity and suffering strikes even the righteous people, as we well know in this life. And we wonder what we did wrong. 
But in great contrast to the book of Proverbs, we look to books like Job and like Ecclesiastes to find some answers when a righteous person suffers. Whereas the Proverbs tend to speak of, of a direct correlation, a one-to-one correspondence between uh, you know, action and consequence. In the book of Job and in the book of Ecclesiastes, we don't see a one-to-one correspondence. In fact, we see just the opposite. We see suffering that is indiscriminate, that is seemingly arbitrary. Suffering comes upon everyone, regardless of how they live. Job was a righteous man, the Bible said, and yet he experienced deep suffering. In the book of Ecclesiastes, all is vanity under the sun, concludes the writer, King Solomon. All is vanity, he says, because no matter what I do, I I go through life and I end up in the grave. No matter what happens, I experience death and, and turmoil and chaos and loss And you know, Job and Ecclesiastes, in contrast to Proverbs, Job and Ecclesiastes give us balance, give us a reminder that there's not always a one-to-one correspondence between our suffering and a direct action of ours in the past. And you know, Jesus is really, in as much as, of course, Jesus would embrace the Proverbs, Jesus is really along the lines of Job and Ecclesiastes when he speaks about suffering. He says this in Matthew 5.45, Jesus says in Matthew 5.45 that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. That is to say, God, God is indiscriminate. God is impartial. There are times where blessing will come to an evildoer. There will, there will be times when consequences and, and, and suffering befalls a righteous man. God sends rain on the evil and the just. So we come to learn through Job and Ecclesiastes and through the teachings of Jesus that there's not always a one-to-one correspondence between something that we did in the past and the suffering that we now experience. The chain smoker does not always contract lung cancer, while that same cancer can befall a person who's never smoked a day in their life. The unethical businessman does not always come to financial ruin while the man who conducts his business with the utmost integrity might face bankruptcy. As one man put it, evil is not distributed in a proportionate and fair way. And the reverse of that is also true. Goodness and blessing is not always distributed in a proportionate and fair way. Gracious and loving parents don't always see their children grow up to be devoted followers of Jesus. While ungodly and abusive parents may end up with children who become faithful missionaries. There is not, for the tenth time now this morning, there is not always a one-to-one correspondence between why you suffer pain, sickness, death, ruin of some kind in your family. There is not always a one-to-one correspondence. But there is one. There is one that you can be sure of. And this one-to-one correspondence can always be linked causally to our suffering. And it is this. It is the sin of mankind. The sin of mankind has brought hurt 
and harm and chaos to the world. God created us perfect. He gave us a beautiful and a wondrous world. But we turned from God. We transgressed Him. We sinned against Him. And all of creation has been reeling ever since. And so Tim Keller concludes. He concludes in this way. I don't believe this is listed on uh, your outline. No, it is. I'm sorry. It's at the very top there of your outline. Tim Keller concludes this. While we must never say that every particular instance of suffering is caused by a particular sin, it is fair to say that suffering and death in general is a natural consequence and just judgment of God upon our sin. Therefore, we cannot protest that the human race, considering our record, our record of sin and betrayal of the Lord, therefore we cannot protest that the human race, considering our record, deserves a better life than the one we have now. We must, as a community, disavow the insidious belief that our suffering is unjust or that somehow God is evil in allowing it to befall us. The truth is that suffering, our suffering, should really be much more than it is. I'll say it again. The truth is that our suffering should really be much more than it is, much worse than it is. Because of sin, our suffering should be immediate and it should be eternal. It should be eternal death. But because of Jesus' suffering, because of Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death, God has stayed the just penalty due us. And He has instead put it on His Son. That our suffering that our suffering is only temporary and not eternal, is a testament to God's benevolence toward us through His Son and the salvation that is ours when we trust Him for it. And so, as we consider, how can I have a resurrected view of suffering? How can I renew? I'm going to go through this, Lord, every day, every week, every month, every year. As I walk through suffering, whatever it is, it comes in many different forms. As I walk through suffering, Lord, how can I resurrect my view of suffering? Number one on your outline, if you're taking notes, write this down. Expect that suffering will come. Expect that suffering will come and prepare for it with your heart and mind. Expect that suffering will come and prepare for it with your heart and mind. I told you we'd be in 1 Peter eventually. 1 Peter chapter 4. Look at verse 12. 1 Peter 4 verse 12. Peter writes, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Now, Peter there, to be, to be very specific in the context, Peter there is writing to a group of believers that are about to endure spiritual persecution, religious persecution for their faith. He's writing to a group of people who are about to go through a very, very difficult ordeal in their community, in their culture. But the same is true for every single one of us. Peter's words ring true for us today. Beloved, Coast Bible Church, don't think it's strange concerning fiery trials which are to try you, as though some strange thing is happening to you. In other words, the Bible says, hey, of course 
fiery trials are coming. Of course suffering is coming. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul writes this, No one should be shaken by afflictions, for you yourselves know that you are appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that you would suffer tribulation. And again in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, again, most of these contexts are related to religious persecution, but especially in the First Thessalonians 3 uh, passage there that I've listed there, that's in, related to affliction in general, afflictions of all kinds. You will endure suffering. It's guaranteed in the Scripture. It's guaranteed, by the way, through the fall of mankind. It is guaranteed through the sin of Adam and Eve that you will suffer some kinds of afflictions and trials and difficulties in life. It's not if, it's when. And so we need to expect that suffering will come, anticipate it, be ready for it. And how do we prepare for it? We prepare for it in two ways, with our heart and with our mind. I want to start with the mind. I want to say this briefly, briefly. With the mind, how do you prepare for suffering with the mind? You meditate on the Word of God and all that it has to say about suffering. You know, do a word study on suffering. If you type in uh, suffering in, in your uh, Bible, uh, s- go to you know, a website like abiblegateway.com and do a keyword search on suffering, you will find hundreds of Bible texts on the topic of suffering. Meditate on the concept of suffering in Scripture. Prepare your mind for it. Acquaint yourself with what the Word of God says about your earthly life. Much of it will be great. Much of many, things, many blessings will come in this earthly life, but also many afflictions and trials. And acquaint yourself with what the Scriptures have to say about the prevalence of suffering. Expect it to come with your mind by meditating on the Word. But also prepare for it with your heart. How do you prepare for it with your heart? Well, one such way to prepare for suffering with your own heart is to co-suffer with others now. Write that down. Co-suffer with others now. These are things like bringing a meal to someone when they go through illness or maybe they just had a brand new baby and their life is just kind of reeling with a brand new experience. Bringing a meal to someone. Uh, Taking someone for a ride to, a, to a, a doctor visit or a hospital. Visiting someone in the hospital. Watching someone's children when they themselves go through difficult and, and arduous experiences. Doing housework for someone who is suffering. Or just being a listening ear for them. We must co-suffer with others. We must, with our heart, reach out and minister to others with us, co-suffering with them so that we can prepare ourselves when the suffering comes our way. May I suggest to you that you also be very careful to learn what is helpful to the one who is suffering. Because often we try to help them and yet we fail because of the way we go about it. If you take a look at at the book of Job, in Job chapter 16, Job calls, there were many friends that came to help Job. Oh, they they, they came to help. They were bringing him uh, great words of wisdom. But Job in chapter 16 of, of the book of Job calls them miserable comforters. They were miserable comforters because all they did was speak words that did not bring any comfort to Job. Instead, they caused even more suffering for him. 
So co-suffering can be instructive for you to learn what does comfort another and what doesn't. We can do more harm than good when we say something insensitive to one who is suffering. Prepare for suffering. Expect that it will come and prepare for it with our mind in the word and our heart with one another. And when it comes, not if, but when it comes, point two on your outline, point two. Admit, admit that complete understanding of the cause of my suffering is nearly impossible to attain. Admit to yourself that complete understanding of the cause of my suffering is nearly impossible to attain. I say this point because our first reaction is always, God, why? We we talked about that at the start. God, why? Why are you doing this? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my friend? Why is this happening to my family? Our first reaction is always why. That's human nature. And we must, as we, as we understand with our mind what suffering is all about, we must admit that complete understanding of the cause of my suffering is nearly impossible to attain. Apart from the natural effects of sin in general, It is nearly impossible to know the proximate cause of our suffering each and every time. You know, most most people, the the prevailing belief among many, not all, but among many, is that when they go through suffering, they look up and say, God, are you punishing me? Are you punishing me? Did I do something wrong? And you're you're looking upon me now, you're looking upon my family, and and you're, you're bringing in some sort of a punishment for what I did, for what I did in the past. God, is that why I'm going through this right now? Are you punishing me, Lord? To those that wonder if God is punishing them, I would direct your attention to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We won't turn there now. But there, therein you will find a story where Jesus completely disavows the notion that the blind man before him was born blind because of the sin of his parents. You see, in that culture, in that day, it was often understood, it was, well, it was culturally recognized that any kind of malady in another person, any kind of sin, or, or excuse me, any kind of, uh, of defect or you know, uh, physical uh, affliction, things like blindness, deafness, etc., um, was due to some sort of a sin in the, in the family of the past, in the father, in the mother, in some of the ancestors before them, that, that, that a man was born blind because of the sin of his mom or, fa- or dad. And Jesus in John 9 completely disavows that notion. He directly challenges it and says that no, not all suffering is a direct result of, of some sin of the past. That's the first thing I would say to you. The second thing I would say to you, if you, if you grapple with this idea that God is punishing you all the time, is meditate on the truth that all of God's punishment was laid on Jesus Christ. Meditate on the truth that all of God's punishment was laid on Jesus Christ. He took it all. What punishment is left to put on you? None. And if you falsely believe that God must punish you, what does that say about the suffering of Jesus? Does it not impugn the sacrifice of Christ? Does it not suggest that the punishment laid on Jesus was somehow insufficient? Far be it from us 
to suggest such a thing. I am not punished by God when I experience suffering. It's not punishment. Chastisement, maybe. Discipline, refinement, maybe. Punishment for sin, no. Punishment, the just punishment for sin was laid on Christ and was laid on Him in full. All punishment was laid by the Father upon the Son. And if I ever think that I'm being punished for some sin by God, then I am diminishing the work of Christ for me on the cross. So break free, friends, from the notion of punishment. Break free from it. You are not being punished by God for some disease or some sickness or some financial ruin that you're in or some relational problem that you're in or some addiction or whatever it is. You are not being punished. Disciplined, uh, refined by God, maybe those things. Punishment for sin, never. That was always laid on Christ. And that leads us to point three. Gaze upon, point three. How can I resurrect my view of suffering? Gaze upon the suffering of Jesus. And as you do, you'll find perspective, empathy, and hope. Gaze upon the suffering of Jesus to find perspective, empathy, and hope. Think about all that Jesus endured. The agony that came. Think about it for a minute. The agony that came with the knowledge of his imminent death. You know, most of you don't know when you're going to die. And some of you, uh, you know, some of you may be dealing with certain kinds of, of diseases or people in your family who have certain kind of terminal illnesses. You've got a general idea, hey, I, I might, this person might not make it another year. Generally, they, they, they might have a general framework for when they might die. Jesus knew he was going to die. It was right before him. He entered the Garden of Gethsemane and said, God, please take this cup away from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. He was arrested. Knowledge of his imminent death. He experienced searing pain, beatings, whippings, thorns in his brow, nails in his hands and in his feet, crucified. The separation, think of this, the separation from his father. Remember what he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, in my own life, short periods of relational pain, in my, in my life, short periods, brief periods of relational pain from family, with family or friends, far outweigh any kind of physical pain I've ever experienced. Even the briefest relational pain that I've gone through with family or friends has been a cause of deep grief and suffering, even more so than any physical pain can ever reach. The feeling of abandonment by one's family can be more than some people can bear. And yet Jesus felt the abandonment of his Father on the cross. So you think about your suffering and you start wallowing in self-pity and looking up and saying, why God? And maybe even starting to shake your fist at Him. No. Gaze upon the suffering of Christ and you will see suffering like none other. And as you do, as you look at that cross, you will be, get, you'll be getting perspective. Perspective on your suffering. Putting it, starting to balance it on the scales a little bit. You'll get Empathy. Because you will know in accordance with Hebrews, the author of Hebrews chapter 4, that Jesus Christ 
can uh, sympathize with all of our weaknesses. Every single one of them. He was tempted, he was tried, he was afflicted just like you are, and more so. And you will get hope because you know what happened after the cross. You know what happened after the suffering of Christ. And that brings us to point four. We know what happened. Salvation. Resurrection. Our entire lives are focused on the hope that came on Easter morning when Jesus rose from the grave and our salvation was made possible. And so number point four, trusting the eternal good that came from Jesus' suffering, believe that the Lord will not allow your suffering to be in vain. Trusting the eternal good that came from Jesus' suffering as you've been gazing upon that cross, believe that the Lord will not allow your suffering to be in vain. You must believe that. We trust God in the good times, right? (laughs) It's easy. Things are great. You know, we're blessed and uh, maybe we're, we're, we're earning a good paycheck and we got a nice house and, and uh, boy, life is easy. We're going on vacation this summer and man, everything is just fun. We're having a great, great life. Oh, it's so easy to trust God in those good times, isn't it? It's easy to trust God when everything is peachy. Everything is wonderful. Not a complicated matter to trust God in those moments when he's blessing you with every desire of your heart, seemingly waiting on you, hand and foot. I like the Lord. I feel close to him. Of course, nothing's wrong. But then things go poorly for you. And we look up and we open our arms wide and we we openly begin to question God's goodness and his love. On the back of your outline, oh, one of the best quotes I've ever read from Elizabeth Elliot. I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. I dethrone God in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. My idea of what my life should be. My idea of how I ought to be blessed And how God ought to repay me for all the good that I've done. Elizabeth Elliot says you're dethroning God when you believe that way. Keller amplifies that point. He says to trust God when we do not understand him is to treat him as God and not as another human being. To trust God's wisdom in our suffering even when we don't understand it, is to remember the glory and the meaning of the cross. (laughs) The cross was not understandable. You know, every time Jesus talked about the cross, every time he talked about his death, what did the disciples do? They said, no, what are you talking about? You're not going to die. A Roman cross, what are you talking about, Jesus? That's for thugs, for thieves. That's for criminals. Dying? On a cross, no less? You're crazy. The cross is foolishness. Foolishness to the world. And yet it's the wisdom of God. To trust God's wisdom in our suffering, even when we don't understand it, is to remember the glory and the meaning of the cross. 
We often ask our children, trust me, I'm older, I'm wiser, I know better than you do, just trust me when I tell you to do something. Well, you adults who say that to your children, God is older, he's wiser, he knows better. Put yourself in the shoes of a child and trust him. A suffering man once told his pastor, I always knew in principle that Jesus is all you need to get through, but you don't really know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. That is often the case. Point five, embrace, resurrecting our view of suffering, embrace the many ways you can experience post-traumatic growth. I did not coin that term. It was... uh, Uh, Keller quoted it among the psychologists in his book, uh, among some of the psychologists that he was citing. Embrace, embrace the many ways you can experience post-traumatic growth. You know, we often hear of of post-traumatic syndrome here, right? A PTSD um, in which, you know, soldiers are coming home from war and they've, they've, they've seen so much and they've gone through so much and they come back to the States, they come back home and they deal with a, a, a plethora of emotional and psychological issues that, that plague them, that cause, uh, that wreak havoc throughout their, their mind and heart and body. In fact, a good majority of soldiers returning home are going through uh, this, this horrific uh, syndrome post-traumatic stress disorder well folks inasmuch as we do not minimize the effects of PTSD we don't minimize it we don't we don't cast this aside we don't impugn it and say well that's not true that that's not happening of course there are mal effects that are happening as a result of trauma but guess what there are also things that can happen as a result of trauma that can be for your growth and for your health and for your breaking through to a new level of growth with your Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Because of passages like Romans 5, which says we also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Suffering helps us become more resilient. It does. Suffering often deepens relationships with those around us. It puts us into deeper bonds with our spouse, with our children, with our church family when we go through suffering. I know that because I see it all the time when some of you have suffered. It deepens the bonds that you have with others. Suffering also changes priorities. It awakens you. You wake up. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the man who uh, was so focused on making money and work, 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 all of a sudden the suffering that he goes through awakens his eyes again to the fact that he needs to spend more time with his wife and with his kids. He needs to spend more time focused on the Lord. The person who suffers is awakened to the priorities of life. And they get a keen and narrow focus on what is really important. You know, you think of terminal illness. <laughs> terminal illness, you know, does one of two things to people. It either breaks them or it causes them to become keenly aware that they are to make the most of their last days. That they are to look on their family and friends and invest everything in them. 
Suffering clarifies and prioritizes priorities. So embrace the many ways you can experience post-traumatic growth. Transformation will take place. Either you'll become embittered and angry and hopeless, or you will grow in faith, hope, and love. Keller puts it this way, the stakes are high. Suffering will either leave you a much better person or a much worse one than you were before. But either way, you will not remain the same. The old saying goes, the same sun that melts wax hardens clay. When suffering comes, you will either melt under the pressure or you will become strong and resilient. Point number six. Let your suffering, this is so important, let your suffering become your witness. Let your suffering become your witness. This is really that, that final step of suffering. You know, you, you want to talk about God, why? Why is this happening? Fast forward to the time in which you've endured the suffering and you've come to the end of it. And now you look back and go, okay, here is where, point six, and actually through, through the suffering, but especially when it's finished, you can look back and then look out among those that you know and meet, your friends, your family, acquaintances on the way, and you can let your suffering become a part of your witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did in Philippians 1. Read it. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to, to speak the word without fear. Paul said, my imprisonment that I'm even now experiencing, my imprisonment, is being used to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere. He's letting his suffering become his witness. We do not fear temporary earthly suffering because we are people of hope. 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. It's working for us. There's an ongoing process there, friends. That light affliction is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that, that are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Suffering well. My goodness, that is a difficult, um, that is a difficult task to resurrect our, our, our suffering. But you know what, folks, uh, right in our midst, uh, we, we are witnessing that very thing take place. We are witnessing it in Marianne, our beloved Marianne. Here she sits, um, battling now abdominal cancer, among other things, and uh, a very dark and difficult affliction, a time of suffering that, that there were moments that, that broke her to tears. Many moments that, that, uh, that brought her to her knees. Many dark moments where our family looked, upon, looked at one another and thought, this, this could be the one. This could be it. And yet, 
we have witnessed Marianne redeem, resurrect suffering. And here she sits before us today, having received another report just yesterday, that uh, while there's still a, a few spots to be aware of, the, the cancer in her abdomen is completely gone. That's what they say. Completely gone in her abdomen. We're not out of the woods. There are some other spots and, and places that we're watching. But, uh, but we are witnessing Marianne suffer well. And uh, so now prepare yourself. Because guess what? You're going to suffer too. That's, the, uh, that's my encouragement for you today. <laughs> my encouragement for you today is that you are about to experience suffering. You're probably already going through it to some degree, actually. If you're not, it'll be there soon. And you need to ask yourself, how am I going to suffer? Am I going to become embittered and angry at the Lord? Or am I, through expectation of it, through preparation, in my mind, in the Word, my heart, watching others, helping others, am I going to ready myself so that when it's all said and done, my suffering can become my witness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord... We want to resurrect our view of suffering. It is something that we know we will go through. We ask God, by your grace, will you help us to suffer well? As Jesus suffered for us, let us suffer, bearing in our own body the sufferings of Christ, that the life of Jesus may be magnified in our body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.